0: are you ready
1: welcome to another episode of around the cfl podcast anthony here with you today and we're coming up to the combine this 2023 cfl combine is taking place in just a few days in edmonton alberta and today's guest is none other than queen's gales coach steve snyder we'll be right back and we'll get started with the coach As we approach the 2023 CFL Combine, which takes place from Thursday, March 22nd to Sunday, March 26th in Edmonton, today's guest is no stranger to the process. He is the head coach of the four-time Vanier Cup champion Queen's Gales of the Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. Coach Steve Snyder, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Anthony. Appreciate it. So, Coach, you're entering your fourth season as head coach of Queen's, but where did your football journey begin?
0: Yeah, um, you know what? It began back in uh, London, Ontario. Um, and, you know, really, I would say my football journey truly began in, in the backyard with my older brother. Um, but I guess officially in terms of organized football uh, with London Minor football at uh, for the East London Lions was my first year playing football just as a little kid and um, fell in love with the game even well before I started playing it officially, you know, in an organized league just kind of out in the backyard and on the schoolyard and stuff like that. but um, And then it's it's really taken me actually across the world for the most part. So it's been great to me.
1: I was going to ask you, uh, you spent some time in Germany, is that correct?
0: That is correct. Yeah, I was able to spend um, two seasons there uh, right after my university career. And I was able to spend those both playing and coaching. Coaching an under-18 team there, as well as playing and coaching for, you know, uh, um, kind of a senior team there. So I guess on a side note,
1: how important is the NFL expanding over into Germany? Because they just did those games this past season. How important is, uh, is more, uh, I guess, North American professional football hitting overseas now?
0: Well, I think it's important. I think, um, you know, any sport that's serious about uh, being sustainable and really feed, reach, uh, reaching its full potential needs to take an international approach. You're seeing that with, you know, obviously hockey has an international flavor to it always has baseball right now they've got some great things going on with the World Baseball Classic, and, um, and soccer and basketball and, and football is way more international than most people would know, you know, they've been playing in Europe, and uh, in Japan and in Asia and for, you know, over 60 70 years now so. It's actually a pretty well established game in Germany. There is a strong following in Germany. There's a lot of people that absolutely love football there. And uh, I think you see that with some of the atmospheres um, and some of the quality clubs and followings they have over there. So I'm happy to see the game developing globally and in particular in Europe and in particular in Germany. I've got some family there and uh, including a brother in law who's a quarterback coach uh, for a team over there. So, you know, I'm happy to see the NFL expand over there i think it's great for the game have
1: you been seeing any more student athletes coming over either to queens or from your past universities have you been seeing that number grow more and more over the last couple of years
0: yeah you know what that's a great question and my experience with it is uh, one of the young men that i actually coached in germany uh when he would have been about 17 years old playing for the under 18 team he went overseas to Canada to play at St. FX, which is where I played. And then when I came back after Germany coached at the university of Windsor and then went to St. FX to coach, I had the pleasure of coaching him and he was a, a incredible player. He was a, you know, starting defensive end, really high end player for St. FX. And this is a German national, you know, a guy who grew up and born and raised in Germany. Um, and we had a lot of players on the team in Germany that, that could have played Canadian university football and been just as much of an impact player as, as Meta was, but um, Meta was the one that I was able to coach that that took part in that. And then I'm quite familiar with just a number of other stories, whether it's in the US and guys going in to get drafted to the NFL or or guys just going over and and playing. And I think um, it's definitely an avenue I could see expanding, not only in the NCAA, but in Canada as well as we start to open our doors more to international students who want to take, take our game in and our quality universities. I think that's definitely something that uh, we should be open to. And we certainly are at Queens. There's, there's challenges. Um, Every university has its challenges, but uh, it's something we're open to.
1: What brought you back to Canada after spending that time in Germany?
0: Just that it's home, you know, it's home. And um, I knew that I wanted to coach. And so I was coaching there, but something was telling me, you know, to get back here and, get my teaching degree and and start to compete in, you know, our football community in Canada and try to do some big things here. And I was just getting the itch to get back and get competitive uh, in the landscape over here. I felt like I was over there and I was missing out on the action a little bit and I'm a competitive guy. So I just kind of remember, you know, hearing about the people that were the young coaches that were starting to get established in our game. And I said, "Whoa, whoa, whoa I got to get over there and start competing. So that was the big thing was to come back and I, you know, I was actually fortunate enough to meet my wife over there, so she came back and we began our life in Canada and the, and the journey of, you know, trying to become a university football coach, which uh, is not as glamorous as most people would think, but it, it, it's been a great journey.
1: What was your first college or university coaching position when you got back?
0: Yeah, I was at the University of Windsor and I was actually um, like a special teams coordinator and assistant receivers coach, so. Uh, and then became the recruiting coordinator in that first off season. So that was really uh, an amazing experience, a place that I you know hold close to me. The University of Windsor still is. I uh, was able to get my teaching degree there, and really that just is a credit to uh, a guy named Joe Demore, who at the time was the head coach there, and who was really great to me and giving me an opportunity. Special teams
1: coordinator and recruiting. Those are my two things. That's what I love the most to do. Uh, what got you back over to St. Francis with the X-Men um, as an offensive coordinator? With the X-Men. Or X-Men, sorry. X-Men.
0: <laughs> it's all good. I get, <laughs> uh, That happens, but I got to correct you. So, you know, my my position at Windsor was not full-time. Um, I was a part-time coach, working full-time, but, you know, not on like a salary with the university. Um, so, it was kind of nickel and diamond back then, you know, going all in coaching full time but not really getting compensated for it, but that's not to take anything away from windsor. they just didn't have that position for me yet and and they did a wonderful job of taking care of me with with how they that how they could and what you know capacity they had but saint effects offered me an actual full time position with the university and an opportunity to be the offensive coordinator and I think m- most importantly um an opportunity to rebuild my alma mater you know and and at the time they they weren't doing very well at all uh and and i was able to work hand in hand with um gary waterman who you know is a guy who i respect the most and um we we just were able to take on that project together and with some other great people and rebuild you know our 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 program the the program that we deeply cared about at that time and Obviously, Gary still does, and I have still have a place for it. But just as a guy that went to school there and played there and owed a lot to the university, at least in my mind, the opportunity to go back and coach and rebuild it meant a lot to me.
1: After three years with the X-Men, you went on to transform the offense as the coordinator at Western as part of the Mustangs. Uh, what were the challenges of building that offense to get the two Yates Cup victories and back-to-back Vanier Cup appearances?
0: Yeah, that was a really interesting uh, experience. It was amazing. It was much different than the other experiences I had. We didn't need to necessarily like rebuild the offense or transform it, but we kind of did in some ways. We kind of reestablished the core teachings of the offense and we definitely drove it in a new direction while still hanging on to its core values and what made it great. Um, But we definitely put our stamp on it in terms of like just what it was going to be as we move forward in the future. But I I look back at that experience What that, you know, we needed to get a team over the hump. That was a very good football team that had continuously fell, fallen short the last few years. And we just needed to keep that team healthy, um, make sure that there was a championship progression. So situational football got better each and every week. So that by the time we were in the playoffs and making that run, we were going to play our best football, healthy, super situationally aware, really confident, really loose and had a, an offense that had a lot of layers to it and was able to build off and complement you know complement um itself but also try to fit in with the team as well where we were able to play some complementary football you know knowing when to just kind of take care of the ball and get rid of it knowing how to understand field position and and the big thing was understanding clock and just knowing how to control clock late in games when we were up to ensure that we were able to get out with a win um, so those are kind of the things that I think we did that we maybe just took to a different level that, that ended up translating to a lot of success. You know, I think we scored the most points in Yates Cup history in 2017, and I think we scored the third most in Yates Cup history in 2018. So it was definitely two great years, and the Vanier Cup was a pretty dominant performance, but, you know, the credit from from those two years – I think really lies in uh, the student athletes. We had tremendous leadership, really talented team, really mature team. And then we had a great head coach and just a great coaching staff. That was a really unique group of people. Like, you know, you'll look back on that. I think the the, the country will look back on that a long time from now and go, that was a really special collection of people. And it was. How how was that feeling? 2017, you won
1: the Banya Cup.
0: It was incredible you know growing up in this country and being obsessed with football and kind of addicted to the game and allowing it to be a way of life for you and chasing it as a player and then you know chasing it as a coach and then finally being able to accomplish it and just feeling like for once you were actually at the top of the football mountain in Canada was a feeling that uh, I'll certainly never forget and um something I'm chasing to get back to now cuz it is a pretty special feeling and You just you can't help but to look around at the people you're doing it with and just feel so proud and share kind of this unmatched joy together. So really just working hard every day with our staff to try to and our players to try to bring that feeling back.
1: How did the head coach opportunity come about at Queens?
0: Yeah, that was, um, you know, pretty much right after the 2018 season. You know, I had actually a few schools reach out in the OUA. There was a lot of coaching open openings in that kind of December of 2018. And, you know, Queens reached out, their athletic director, Leslie Dowson, wonderful woman who who gave me my first opportunity to be a head coach, you know, reached out and expressed interest and asked me to interview for the job and just, you know, prepared myself, went in and uh, was able to kind of present, you know, the vision we have for the program. And, um and, and they, you know, felt that that was a great opportunity to bring, bring me on allow me to assemble a staff and kind of, Put the wheels in motion so that's kind of how that worked out
1: and it did 2021 not only were you the U sport coach of the year but you also won the david tuffy knight award for the oua coach of the year how yeah. was that feeling and also congratulations both of those are really well deserved
0: yeah definitely a great feeling for our program uh we we consider it like the coaching staff of the year award um because it's not really like an individual thing in football As you can imagine, it's, you know, it's just your staff working together with the players and all the support staff and everybody to do something. Head coach certainly doesn't do anything alone, really. Like there's, you know, I think we all know that, uh, especially in football, but um, you know, winning the Tuffy Knight award for the OUA coach of the year was really coaching staff of the year was really cool. um, Just because I'd heard so many great stories about Tuffy uh, from friends of mine who had played for him. So the name really like hit home for me. And, um, and seeing, you know, the other winners in the past was pretty special as well. So just knowing that, you know, your name is going to go on something forever in in our football community in Canada is kind of more than I ever imagined. Um, And then to see that, you know, I want to say like a week or two weeks later or something, you know, get honored nationally as the Frank Tyndale award winner for the national coach of the year was like, wow. You know, because Frank is a former Queens coach and, I walk by a massive picture of him that's in front of my office every day. And uh, when you're at Queens, like he's everywhere. You know, we have a field named after him on campus. His name's on the basketball court. He's all over the football facilities. So, and then just kind of obviously same thing, seeing the names of guys who have won it before and just never in a million years thinking that my name would be beside those guys like that. Pretty humbling and just really happy for our staff because we we were all able to enjoy it and our players as well because it's really, you know, it's their commitment and their – performance that really allowed it to happen
1: queens is the the dream landing spot for so many coaches your name is synonymous with championships i mean there's yates cups vanier cups what goes into building your programs
0: yeah um there's also Loney bowls those i'm I'm just as proud of as anything you know some of those atlantic conference championships were not easy to get a hold of and um really special as well but uh Queens is definitely a dream spot for me, you know, that there's this this is just it feels like a little bit of the Mecca of football, to be honest, like it's it's got everything, you know, and it's got so much tradition and spirit, which is one of those are like two of the things that I truly really value. You know, my football experience my entire life, I've always enjoyed the pageantry of football and the tradition and the history of the game and like more than just playing it it was about some of the other things as well that meant a lot to me and Queens I think is unmatched in some ways in those areas. So it's definitely the, the dream spot for me and my family. We love it here. And uh, just looking to, you know, try to have as much success here as we can so we can stay as long as they'll, they'll have us.
1: Well, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode here, it is the combine season as the head coach, what goes through your mind as that week approaches?
0: Yeah, it's definitely coming fast. And, We've been, uh, you know, working as a program to help our guys get ready. You know, we have designated one of our assistant coaches, Ben D'Andrea, as the pro player development coordinator. Ben is great. He's a certified strength and conditioning coach. He has a history of working with professional athletes, including CFL players, in training them. He's really a combine specialist. And uh, he works closely with our strength staff at Queens, who, who is, they're tremendous as well. And we get those guys ready for the regional and the national combines. And we're also getting guys ready for East-West Bowl combines and even next year's next year's East-West Bowl. Uh, anybody who wants to develop for professional football and combines uh, can utilize this aspect of our program. And Coach D'Andrea takes a lot of pride in getting the guys ready. So booking extra facility time for these guys to be able to train and get ready for these combine tests. which you guys know is they're pretty specific. You know, like if you just go in and try to wing it, you know, you're not going to do as well as if you really take a calculated professional approach to preparing for those specific drills, you can shave some time off. So that's kind of what we're doing is trying to get the guys ready to run and test as well as they can. And, um, you know, I'd be lying if I said it's all I think about, because there's a lot of other stuff going on with our program. You know, we're getting our team ready for spring ball, which opens up this week and um, off season workouts and academic support and fundraising and just all the things that go on with our program. So, definitely been doing a lot of that stuff, but, um, really, you know, we tune in obviously when these combines come and we're eager to see the results and see how our guys do. And I'm really proud of the job our guys did at the regional combine because Theo Grant was able to get an invite to the national as a result of it. Um, so, so proud of him. And you know, we believed in him and we knew he was going to do well, but to see it actually happen meant a lot to all of us. And, um, so we're just wishing for the best now. And, and then the next thing after that will be, uh, It'll be the East West bowl where we'll, you know, try to help our guys get ready for next year's draft with a little bit of exposure. And then on uh, and, and the CFL draft, obviously as well, uh, that's always a special time to tune into.
1: I attended uh Jamin Pelly's workout when he did a workout at the university of Calgary for Edmonton and Calgary last summer. And I saw him before it and I saw him at the end of it. And he was, he did a great job, but he was tired. You've got five guys going into uh, Edmonton for the pre-draft event. You've got receiver, Richard Burton, offensive lineman, Evan Florin, defensive back, Eric Colonna, offensive lineman, again, Theo Grant that you just mentioned and linebacker, Wells Carabin. Uh, Tell us about these young guys.
0: Yeah, they're all, you know, really special guys uh, on and off the field who have contributed a ton to Queens football and, uh, it's a long list for sure, you know, to have that type of representation. But that's kind of, you know, what you get to expect from programs like Queens uh, is each year. It seems like there's a number of guys getting an opportunity, getting a look. But, you know, to start with, you know, Eric Colonna. Uh Eric was invited to the regional combine and he's our starting free safety. And he's, you know, essentially the most dedicated player we have. He was recognized as the most dedicated player on our team uh, with the award that we hand out at our prestigious awards night. And he's just one of those guys that's all in on development, taking care of his body, preparing his mind. He's an exceptional leader, and he's just driven to play professional football. So uh, really proud of him for all he's done and the way he's been able to showcase himself. And um, he's going to be back at Queens next year if this CFL thing doesn't work out for him this year, and then he'll take another run at it. And that's just a testament to how committed he is to the game of football, to think that he'll play he'll return for sixth year of university, although he doesn't need it academically. And this is a wildly intelligent young guy, um, but he just cares about Queens, cares about football and wants to pursue it. So you're really excited about him. Um, and then Wells Caravan, another player in, in, invited to the regional combine. Wells is a long athlete, really instinctual linebacker that's played a lot on special teams. I think um, what stands out to him is his length, you know, and uh, and his, his instincts for the game and that IQ, it kicks in and he's able to, sniff things out and just be a pretty versatile player make make plays defending the pass you know as a linebacker getting out into space and using his range um and he's demonstrated that he can play in the box and and step up and fill and play sideline to sideline and you know stop the screen game and play the perimeter run and get up get out on the uh you know quick game in the perimeter and things like that so but i think what his ticket is going to be you know if he's able to get selected and get a get an opportunity will be his ability to play special teams and he's certainly done that for us Uh, but using his length to you know to try to hold people up on the line of scrimmage and, and 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 possibly be covering kicks you know we we definitely are hoping for wells to you know get his dream realized and be able to play some professional football and then theo grant is uh one of the guys that was actually a part of our first recruiting class when we came in as the staff. Theo was an outstanding offensive lineman from Halifax, Nova Scotia at Citadel high school, which is a really established program there. They have a history of sending a lot of guys, a shorter history. It's a kind of emergence of two really old, powerful high schools, um, but they turned into a superpower there. And they've sent a lot of players to Canadian university sport. And Theo was a part of that first recruiting class. Tremendous player came in a little uns- undersized uh, was actually forced to play as a true freshman, um, at like 250 pounds playing tackle, uh, and he's just, you know, he's tough, he's technical, he loves to finish people, um, and he's really athletic. So he's really built his body up and and, uh, and his technique up to a level where he can play at the highest level in the OUA. He did this year. He wasn't recognized as an all-star or anything, but he easily could have been, and um, and I think you're seeing that now at the regional combine, how well he did, and now he's got that ticket to the national and he's got another opportunity to go and showcase his 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 incredible athleticism. And one thing he's really bought into over the last couple of months is the key to is is the importance of versatility. And I think he's really open now to doing whatever the teams want to see, whether that's snap, play guard, play tackle, or do anything else. Um, I know he jumped into some of the special team stuff. He's always been eager to do that. You know, he can protect kicks, he can cover kicks. He can play on the kick return team, um, and, you know, and, and and set blocks up and things like that. So he, he's a special one. He's a special one. And I think people are really starting to open their eyes to the, to the athleticism there. And then I think the final two guys there would be uh, Evan Florin and, and Richard Burton, right? So these are the two that were invited to the National Combine right off the get-go. And uh, Evan Florin was a part of the first recruiting class as well. So he came in with Theo. So we got two really good ones there on the offensive line. And Evan was more of the uh, big prototypical guy, you know, coming in at like 6'5", hovering around 300, and, and just really tough, really athletic. Um, so now it was like, all right, physically he can play. Now it's like, as a freshman, can he understand the technique and the calls and the schemes? And he did, you know, when he played as a freshman for us. And and he's been just like a a rock-solid performer for us, especially the last two seasons. And this year he was recognized, you know, all Canadian, all conference and and, and the uh, offensive MVP on our team. So uh, Evan, I think people are going to be impressed with his athleticism when the pads come on, his physicality, uh, his intensity. Uh, but we're certainly hoping he tests well. And he's a guy that, you know, wants to play professional football. That's really on his mind. So now he's got an opportunity to chase that. and uh, He'll be welcomed back to Queens if he doesn't, you know, stick with the CFL team, and then he'll re up and try to go back next year because his mind is to eventually play professional football, um, whether it's this year or you know the next year. So he, he's a serious one for sure, and I think one of the one of the better prospects in the entire draft. And then uh, Richard Burton is a, is a, you know really unique guy. Richard was not a part of our recruiting class; he was already on the team, as was Eric and Wells. But Richard actually this past year came back for his sixth year of school. So Richard was playing at the highest level in the OUA, in the country, really, at his position in 2021, and he tore his ACL. So he missed the remainder of the 2021 season, which was a bit of a, a run for us. You know, we, we went undefeated and went to the 8th Cup. And then he rehabbed, came back for a sixth year of school, and, you know, dominated. Was an All-Canadian and uh, our team MVP and... The true leader of our our team, one of the the true leaders of our team, just a pure character guy, very mentally tough, extremely coachable, very intelligent, all queens, all heart. The best game he played was the Yates Cup, his final game of his career. He went out like a warrior, and now he's going to the National Combine, and we couldn't be happier for him. He is a very competitive guy. He rises to the occasion. I think as he gets with the better competition, he's going to elevate himself. He's not afraid to stir it up. He's got an edge to him. And uh, I think, you know, for Richard, maybe not everybody falls in love with them. But, you know, the old saying, if one team does look out, because I could see this working out really well for Richard and 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 having a successful CFL career, possibly.
1: Some mock draft projections have Evan as early as 10th overall. So the top of the second round. Uh, do you put any stock into mock drafts at all?
0: Yeah, it's great. I think it's great. The proof is, you know, when it actually happens, obviously. But, I mean, what would be the draft without a mock draft, you know? So, I think it's great. You know, I think the more exposure we get, the more publicity and promotion we get, the more people you get talking about the game. The more you get, like, true, like, experts and educated people like yourself who care and want to be a part of this thing talking about it and and giving their opinion. I think it's great. I don't think it means anything in terms of whether they were right or the wrong it's just great energy to have around our game and i think there's something to be said about being right or being pretty darn close to being right year after year because that can go a long way i mean you see that in the nfl for sure and our mock drafts do a great job because you know they're pretty accurate and to be honest you know the your your question was do i put stock into it um i i go to them for an understanding of what the hell is actually going on because you know again i'd be lying if i said that uh You know, I knew everything about every player in the country that was a potential CFL prospect. I certainly don't have the full scouting report and luxury of all those great Can West players and uh, RSEQ players and whatnot and AUS players. So, you know, you kind of get honed in on the OUA when you're coaching in it. And uh, it's nice when that mock draft comes out and you see, you know, all the guys from across the country and even into the NCAA who are performing at a high level. And then you get to see where your guys fit into it and some of the guys you coached against. So I think they're great. I think they are.
1: You mentioned that there's two guys that might be coming back for their sixth year. One that did. How how much do you stress the education side of it? Because football is not promised tomorrow, whether, you know, there's an injury in training camp or in practice or you can have a Tom Brady career. You never know. But how much do you stress right now at this point where you have to have an education?
0: Yeah, overall, it's a big point of our program and has been everywhere I've coached, but in particular at Queens. Um, this is a obviously a well-established university academically, and it's one of the better universities in the country academically, and actually in the world for that matter. And all of our players really strongly value education, some more than others. Obviously, we have some guys who are um, extraordinarily academically driven and successful. And then we have other guys who are you know, driven academically and obviously motivated to graduate and do really well. And, you know, but, but they love football and they're not trying to become, you know, maybe a doctor or a lawyer. And we have a lot of that. Some of the guys are, you know, a little bit more grounded academically in that sense, true balance, whatnot. And I think a lot of these guys that are going in the draft kind of fall into that model. They are in love with football. Graduating is obviously very important to them. It's critical and they will graduate if they haven't already but I think their minds are really set right now on playing professional football. And I think that's a good thing, but ultimately all these guys are smart enough to know that, you know, even if they played 10 years in the CFL is the highest paid Canadian, probably still have to get a job after, you know? So, and that's, you know, to try to do that 10 years in the CFL is the highest paid Canadian. That's, that's really hard thing to do. So I think all these guys are really, they don't need me to tell that to them. They, they, they've got it figured out, but we certainly, uh, you know, value the drive to graduate and all the support that goes behind that. And we try to help them and understand their plans and, and create plans. And um and and these guys right now, as they're pursuing professional football, they need to keep that academic plan in mind. Uh, and I think they all have it in mind and they, they know what these pathways and possibilities are going to look like and how you're going to need to balance school and football. Cause it's just a little bit different signing. Even as like the first overall draft pick in the CFL, you're not signing a contract for generational wealth where you'll never have to work again. And that education from like the degrees reputation, it doesn't even matter anymore. You're good. You know, this is not the case. So all these guys know that and um, they're all in a pretty good spot. I've
1: seen what the minimum CFL contracts look like. And yeah, it's uh, it's not what a lot of people think it is at all. So the combine is coming up actually this week, the draft coming up in May. Uh, what are you doing right now for preparation? Because you've got opening day in August on August 26th, where you're going to be hosting Laurier Golden Hawks. You said spring ball's coming up. So what's the preparation now between here and opening day?
0: Yeah, just to backtrack a little bit, I guess, to January, you know, once classes started back, we were into our winter phase one and it, you know, a lot of strength and conditioning and a lot of speed work and, and team competitive circuits and academic support. The guys are in class. There's a lot going on. We kept them really busy with kind of, you know, the training element and we gave them a week off at reading week. And now we're back for winter 2 We're still in the weight room a ton and still doing a ton of speed stuff. And now this week we're officially starting spring. Um, so we'll be out on the field practicing full practices, full pads. Um, and we're going to put a bunch of those in and culminate with the gold game, our spring game in April. And then, um, We'll turn the guys loose for exams, support them academically, and then as we transition to the summer, that sprint program and that strength and conditioning program comes back, and the guys will be out throwing around and whatnot. So there's a lot of prep, obviously, to set the stage for training camp mid-August and that home opener, which is a big one. Um, and we're obviously fully into that preparation now, but we're really excited for spring practices. Those are those are pretty unique and really exciting for everyone. Uh, especially the guys who are younger, who didn't get an opportunity to necessarily play a ton or play at all uh, in this season. This is an opportunity for them to get a lot of reps and really get a good evaluation and a lot of development. You run an amazing
1: program coach. It was an honor and it was a pleasure having you on here today. Thank you so much for taking the time on a busy Sunday as we're recording this and good luck with everything. Good luck to the guys going to the combine And I can't wait to see what you do this year at Queens and go for another run for a championship.
0: Well, thanks so much for having me. Keep up the great work and um, really, uh, you know, wishing the best to all the CFL prospects out there from across the country. It'll be a great day for them and their families.
1: That was our conversation with the University of Queens Gales head football coach, Steve Snyder. And don't forget, Combine takes place this coming Thursday, March 22nd to Sunday, March 26th in Edmonton. And that's the big lead up to the upcoming May 2nd CFL draft. You can follow us as always on Instagram at Around the CFL Podcast. And you can listen to us anywhere your podcasts come from. iHeartRadio, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Pandora, or all the others. We'll be back again next week with a brand new episode. And until then, we'll see you later. Well, that is it for us this week. I'll be back again next week where our special guest will be the owner of the BC Lions, Amar DeMan. You can also find us on Instagram, as always, at Around the CFL Podcast, And you can listen to us on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Pandora, Google, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. For Dave Naylor, I am Anthony, and we'll see you later.